We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Blue Wire. What is up, Nets fans? Welcome to Brooklyn Buzz. I'm Nick Faye. With me tonight, as always, Jack Manuel and Jack. We're pretty hyped. The Nets had a 24-point comeback against the Phoenix Suns, capped off with a James Harden go-ahead bucket, 128-124. Jack, how are we feeling? James Harden, Joe Harris, Landry Shamet, DeAndre Jordan, Jeff Green, every single player that played tonight is my hero. I will dedicate my life to working for them. I am the disciples of these Brooklyn Nets. Chuck and Katie and Kyrie as well. I like those guys quite a bit too. But dear Lord, Nick, I have not been as hyped and as excited and as energetic after a win since that Sacramento Kings game where we recorded with Will Jackson last year or the year before. I can't remember. But man, this is such a satisfying win. And to do it in, in the fashion that we did and the manner that we did, this is one of the most memorable games I can remember since recording the Brooklyn Buzz. Yeah, this is a game you won't forget. And obviously, no Kevin Durant, no Kyrie Irving. And the Phoenix Suns being a good team, 17 wins. I think they're top four in the Western Conference. You know, this game means something for the Nets. And it was incredible to watch that team effort we saw in the third and fourth quarter. The defense picking up intensity. You mentioned a lot of guys stepping up in their roles. Before we jump into it, as always, find us on all streaming platforms, including otgbasketball.com, netsrepublic.com, and Blue Wire Pods. But Jack, where do we start with this? Because there's a lot of breakdown. <laughs> there is so much to break down, Nick. I think the key is, I, I mentioned it to you earlier, the Nets allowed 42 points in the second quarter, but 49 total points in the second half. They outscored them 74 to 49. It was just incredible and masterful. And a lot of it was done with the second unit, led by Tyler Johnson, former Phoenix Sun. Yeah, a lot of great effort plays from the role players. And you mentioned, you know, Tyler Johnson, what did he have tonight? Like 17 points? 17, 5 of 8 from 3, 5 of 10 from the field, 2 of 2 free throws, 5 boards. I thought his defense was awesome. I thought all of the guys that you don't expect to have, like, really incredible high-level defense from were just hounding Devin Booker. They were hounding Chris Paul in that second half. They were hounding Cameron Payne. And Tyler Johnson, Landry Shamit were really leading the guard in that sort of vein. Yeah, they really picked up like the competitive edge in that second half. In the third quarter, I think we saw guys start to pick up full court. And what that does, just kind of make them a little bit more uncomfortable. And you mentioned it. Even guys like Landry Shamit, who's had rough patches defensively, had some nice moments, especially that defensive possession at the end against Devin Booker. I thought that was probably his 
best defensive possession maybe of his career. You're talking about a rising star, has you in an ISO situation in the post, has a couple inches and a couple pounds on you, holds his own, and he really took that contact. I was impressed with Shaman in that position. Uh, look, it's something that we've spoken about in every second podcast, it seems. You know, teams getting Landry Shamit or Kyrie Irving in the post and just punishing them. But Landry Shamit just stepped up, up there. You know, I think Kendall Jenner's going to have to dump Devin Booker <laughs> and start dating Landry Shamit after that play. I think it's, just, it's mandatory. I thought that Landry Shamit was incredible. I, I thought he had an absolutely masterful game, and he really set the tone. It wasn't just his three-pointer that was on. I thought that he's driving his aggression, his ball handling, uh, his defense, as you mentioned, Nick. You know, I think Monty Williams drew up a good play. That's what you want. That's probably yeah. the number one mismatch that you want. You've got one of the best isolation scorers in the league right now, Devin Booker, who can create a shot at will on the Nets' worst defender out there, which is, you know, quote Landry Shaman at the end of the day. He has been, you know, punished and, and, and isolated at times and put on a hill, put on an island, but he just stepped up and he was strong. He, and then the board from Joe as well at the end, calling the timeout, really smart. It just seemed to me that there was just... Uh, I, I just loved it, Nick. It, it just lifted me, it lifted my spirits in so many different ways. A heck of a play from Landry Shaman. And look, this is a game that the Nets weren't supposed to win. Simple as yeah. that. They were down by 20 points at the half, down by as much as 24 points. And they come back for this win. This is going to go down for the ages. One of, I think, the second biggest comeback since 2012, Ryan Rucco said, something along yeah. those lines. Uh, and a truly incredible performance. And so many guys that we can single out. But Landry Shamit uh, in that clutch final position possession on defense was just absolutely awesome. Uh, shout out to our dude, the Shamet. Sham wow. Absolutely Sham wow. I, I almost lost my thought there. Um, the It's just like, it honestly is like almost a perfect example of the game because there's a play either happened late in the first quarter where Landry Shamet gets caught with Devin Booker in the post. Booker just straight works him, just works him to the spot he wants to get, hits the layup. And then we see in the fourth quarter, in the, in when it matters the most at that possession, Landry Shamit holds up. And that kind of indicated what the Nets did throughout that second half, like you mentioned, Jack. Just really starting to make the Suns uncomfortable because at points in the first half, these guys were getting literally every shot they wanted to. First unit, second unit, bad players, good players, it really didn't matter. Yeah, I thought the first half, the, the Nets didn't make things uncomfortable for them in any sort of fashion. They allowed them into the paint. They allowed them to take easy threes. They were playing disengaged basketball. And I mean, you can understand with the... Yeah. I thought that in, in they, they showed effort, but they didn't show intensity to combine with that effort, I think, a lot of the time. And look, to go up against the Phoenix Suns team, who I think is one of the four or five best teams in the West and one of the test, ten, eight to ten best teams in the NBA right now, you know, I, I sort of thought... I'm like, look, they aren't playing as bad as a 20-point deficit right now. I thought that there were yeah. some moments where there was some hustle and, and energy and, and, and effort, but I just thought they weren't on enough to really make things tough for an incredibly good team. And, you know, they have really good depth. They've got, you know, DeAndre Ayton starting to play some really good basketball. But I thought the Nets adjusted really well. And I thought the adjustment came from the second unit and the intensity that they brought. You know, and, and it's not like, you know, the, the Phoenix Sun second unit um, is, you know... A, otherworldly and then it's not like the net second unit is otherworldly either but it just seemed to me that it was a mentality and an and intensity sort of switch that really brought the effort from the third quarter onwards Nick yeah I think you like you said Jack some adjustments the effort picking up guys just kind of taking a little bit more personal defensively and then also the Suns were shooting really really well in the first half I think it was something close to like 60 percent from the field over 50 percent from three they finished 54 percent from the field 43 percent from three which is still really really good but 
that little difference with the turn up with the effort and the adjustment and also the Nets shooting godly numbers, 57% from the field and 50% from three, you know, that combination of things is going to lead to a win. And like, obviously, then we don't expect the Nets to really put up 128 when they're missing Kyrie and Kevin Durant, but they did that tonight and played defense for two quarters. And that was enough to get the win. It was. And, and, and look, the Suns are a really good defensive team. I thought in the first half. They said they, top five defensive rating? Yeah, somewhere around that realm. They're certainly one of the elite teams, and they have the cattle to do so. Jay Crowder, Chris Paul, you know, yep. John DeRayton is a, a physical marvel. Um, and, and even like guys like Cam Johnson coming off the bench. They just have oh, like, Mikhail Bridges is maybe in the is certainly an all defensive caliber player. They just made they did what the Nets were doing in the second half, but the Nets don't have the same level of defensive talent. Um, yeah. I, I just thought it was just effort, just uh, just outreaching everything, effort over everything. And I think that Nick to put ourselves to throw ourselves under the bus here. I was in the dams too in the first half. You know, coming coming towards halftime, I'm like, all right, man, we we record after every single game right now. The Nets are down by like twenty. Do we really want to record after this one? I know it's late for you. You're on the East Coast. So many other East Coast Nets fans watching this one. And you're like, Nick, the dedication you still show. It's like, come on, let's get a 15-minute one out of there. We're going to be going along in the 15 minutes tonight, ladies and gentlemen. Don't worry about that one. Yeah, no, Jack. It obviously didn't look good. Like you said, it's kind of almost a scheduled loss. You know, second out of a back-to-back. You're essentially resting Kyrie Irving. If tonight was a playoff game, he would have 100% played. Kevin Durant dealing with the hamstring. You're bringing some new players. Andre Roberson obviously coming in, not necessarily ready. Not sure what's up with Noah Vonley, if he's ready to get minutes. Amon Shumpert still being out. So you're shorthanded. Like we saw Chris Gioza have to play 10 minutes in this game. And I, I don't think that's something Steve Nash typically wants to do. So it just kind of pushed them to the edge. And you got the best out of a lot of guys tonight. And a lot of guys just stepped up. And the first half they didn't, but in the second half they did. You know, we mentioned obviously Landry Shamit, but I thought Joe Harris really stepped up in this game. Like there was a lot of pressure on James Harden. Oh, Harris, Nick, don't even say his name. Oh. <laughs> Come down over there. It is after hours over in the East Coast, so you can get away a little bit more. But we'll talk about James Harden. But Joe Harris, I mentioned to you that little 5-0 run, hit the three, got the steal, got the layup, that pivot he had on DeAndre Ayton. I felt like he really stepped up as that, you know, second option as a scorer, not- noticing James Harden had that full load on his back. Oh, man, Joe Harris in the second half. I thought that he looked a little bit off in the first half, like the rest of the team. But uh, good players, not not only good players, great players have a next play mentality. And I think Joe Harris in the past, you know, a more immature, less experienced Joe Harris, would have let that first half get to him. But now the confidence that he has being surrounded by James Harden, Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, they've given him the level of swagger where it's just like, you know what? I'm going to hit threes contested with hands in my face, which he did again tonight. It's two games in a row where I think he's hit the hardest threes of his career. And he's taken them like it's someone else's business. And he should be getting four-point players some of them mind you as well but that five point swing Nick I thought was you know a a truly key moment of the game obviously James Harden you know really driving in and and making the most of a spread offense I think really really helped us but Joe Harris that defensive play I mean this is after hours the OnlyFans content is going off right now Nicholas Jack might be going off right now (laughs) yeah look um, this is going to be an NSFW podcast it's going to be R18 plus not one for the kiddies out there but Joe Harris was just uh, masterful the the intensity and the the strength in that defensive play and you just knew I'm like he's not going to take he's not going to kick this bucket bucket out he's going to go straight to the rack earn the free throws and look he hasn't had a good free throw shooting season mind you either but he hit them with ease he hit them like it's a 
three, an open wide three-pointer for him. He, he's hitting mid-rangers as well. Like, he yeah. hit a, like a 20, a 19-footer tonight as well. Joe Harris, three mid-rangers tonight. It's, it's, it's crazy how well he is playing, Nick. Um, he's worth every single cent of that $76 million contract. And I'm, 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 I might simp him and send the rest of my savings account to him if he can keep playing <laughs> like this. Absolutely incredible. And I thought as well, the board by him as well. There was just a yeah. moment where you thought the Nets play awesome defense. You know, Landry Shamit does everything well. And it's just like, okay, we're going to complete this. We need to complete this play. You know, against in, in games past, it would have been like offensive board to Aiton or Chris Paul or yeah. whoever. But Joe's like, nah, I'm getting this board. I'm calling the timeout. Let's finish. Let's ice this game. Good maturity, good experience. And Joey Buckets, he does things to me. He does things to next fans everywhere. Yeah, I thought he also had another big board in the fourth quarter, too, where he just, like, got up. He really, like, <laughs> he put on the jumper right there. Awesome rebounding. Tyler Johnson, yeah. Landry Shamit, TLC at moments. I thought the rebounding was just, like, in the first half, I was just like, oh, my God, can we, like, get something on the boards? You know, DJ wasn't giving us anything there. And then it just felt like there were springs under our feet. Yeah. We were just bouncing for those boards. Yeah, I think that's probably Steve Nash, the coaching staff, really getting after them to group rebound, you know, team rebound. And I thought we even saw some double team box outs, which is like, we're happy to see a normal box out, but seeing two guys work on DeAndre A. And I was kind of impressed with what we saw from the Nets in the rebounding department, especially tonight playing the smallest possible lineups you can play in the NBA. We saw Chris Chioza, Landry Shamit, Joe Harris, TLC, and Jeff Green out there. So we're talking about 6'8, 6'7, 6'6. 6-3, and under six foot. <laughs> Bro, I think I'd play center in that lineup. Yeah. <laughs> like, honestly, <laughs> me and you would be playing like the four and five, like KD and Jeff Green interchanging down there. Uh, uh, look, it was innovative, but it, look... That's what we had on hand, Nick. Yep. You know, the, the Nets are, you know, there is no Nicholas Claxton, even though he's walking into the arena with the two damn superstars looking like a goddamn millionaire. And obviously Kyrie Irving and, and Kevin Durant are out because of their respective injuries. So it just showed that the, the innovation from Steve Nash, and there were lineups where it's just like, he experimented tonight. And I've loved his proactivity much more. You know, there were times where I thought, you know, his timeout performance, we analyzed it last game. I thought it wasn't as good uh, at, at this point in the game. I thought it did get better i thought his rotations were better i would have liked to see von lay at certain points when you know dj wasn't giving us anything but once we sort of put jeff green out there against deandre ayton that was the matchup where it's just like okay we can punish him here because you know deandre jordan was guarding better in space and in isolation yeah. on the perimeter than deandre ayton was and that's no slight to deandre ayton it's more of actually a, a praise towards deandre jordan i thought that his ability uh, and his defensive intensity and the leadership i thought was really good in the second half yeah, I mean, athletically, DeAndre Ayton is like light years ahead of where DeAndre's at at this point. So the fact that he can do that is impressive. But like you said, just talking Steve Nash, I thought rotations were pretty good. The only thing I'll say that scared the shit out of me is when he waited just a little bit too long to get yeah. James Harden in the fourth yeah. quarter. I'm just like, bro, you didn't even take a timeout. Thank God Tyler Johnson is has a high basketball IQ. And I think he saw Harden walk to the bench and try to get a foul. Got that stoppage. It, obviously, we know what happened with Harden with the big shot he hit. So... You know, Steve Nash continuing to grow. And like you said, limited options to work with. Noah Vonley thing is kind of weird, but I wouldn't be surprised if he just doesn't really know what's going on with the Nets. And it's kind of hard to put somebody out there when you're there's somewhat of your defensive anchor being a center and you're switching tendencies. It's really easy to get that communication mixed up. But you want to talk DeAndre, Jeff Green, or James Harden next? 
Um, let's talk James Hunt. It seems to me it's a bit... Uh, we apologize for waiting so long to speak about the team superstar. 38 points from James Harden tonight. 14 of 22 from the field. 5 of 11 from 3. 5 of 5 from the free throw line. Had another 11 dimes. 7 boards. Had a steal as well. James Harden was... Two uh, turnovers too. Two turnovers. You know, I thought that the, the Nets did a really good job of that. It, it wasn't noticeable at all. Um, but I just thought that James Harden was a, a goddamn superstar tonight, Nick. And, you know, it seemed to me that this was a little bit personal for him going up against Chris Paul in the latter points of that game. And he and while Chris Paul was just incredible in that yeah. final quarter, especially when James Harden wasn't out there. But Harden's like, all right, get me out there, Steve. Once I'm out there, I'm making sure we win this game. I'm getting us buckets. I'm getting us free throws. I'm making the right plays. I'm going to get fouled. I just thought that, it, it, again, I think the spacing just allowed James Harden to attack more with Jeff yeah. Green out there. Whereas there were a couple of nice lob plays from DJ. I thought DJ looked better with the second unit in a lot of respects, which is something I wouldn't normally say because he's always so much better with superstars. But James Harden and Jeff Green tonight, I thought that their tandem, as well as Joe Harris, um, I thought that they just really were just absolutely pivotal. And that shot by James Harden, man. I mean, he's done it in countless games uh, in, in previous. And to do this without Kyrie Irving and, and Kevin Durant, you know the ball is going in his hands. You know he's going to do it. But the Nets just did a great job of, of spreading out, let James Harden do his thing, and he can create a shot from anywhere on the court. And he steps up, baby. James Yeah, this, this was like our first James Harden hero ball game, like You're similar right. to what we saw with the Rockets. 38 points, 11 assists. The entire defense is looking at him a lot of the time. Obviously, like you mentioned, Jack, got some spacing. And you mentioned the chemistry with Jeff Green. I think that was a game changer. That in that late in that game, our boy Chandler Harper with uh, OTG pointed out they run some inverted pick and roll with Jeff Green and James Harden. And that pretty much allowed them to either get the switch of James Harden on DeAndre Ayton or either got a good possession for Jeff Green, where we saw him attack DeAndre Ayton a few times too. So those type of adjustments, high basketball IQ, the chemistry between these players, that's what really can make a difference down the stretch when it's just going possession, possession to possession. And having that as a tool in the shed, especially when you're missing KD and Kyrie, is just huge. And you mentioned it too. I think he had Shamit out there. He had Joe Harris out there. So now it's really, really hard to help on that pick and roll. And it's just putting DeAndre Ayton in a position where he's just going to get abused by James Harden. Yeah, and, and Tyler Johnson out there as well, who was yeah. five away from the um, from three, as I alluded to. Revenge game. Uh, yeah, he, he was awesome. He was absolutely incredible. Led the team to plus minus, but we we chatted a little bit about Tyler Johnson. We might chat about him again later. But look, Nick, fourteen to twenty two from from James Harden, and I, I, I really it was a really good spot by Chandler because. We've seen Jeff Green's synergy with him in the season part. And Chandler actually did a really great article last year about the synergy that those two had. And Jeff Green in the pick and roll with him as a ball handler. You know, because he was getting hounded by Chris Paul or Mikhail Bridges full court. It's just like, okay, we'll get the ball to Landry here. We'll give it to Jeff here. And we'll still get the ball into James Harden's hands. I thought they did a good job of that, of not being overwhelmed by the moment. This was playoff yeah. basketball in that final quarter, Nick. And the way that they played... The, they were really intelligent with the way that they played, hunting the mismatch, you know, really punishing DeAndre Ayton. And, every, and I, I thought that it was a really nice spot because I noticed that myself and I didn't take it down in my notes. But it was it, it was a really good play-by-play. -play. Let's just go, okay, what can we do here? Can we get a mismatch? Am I going to attack here? Am I going to kick out here? Am I going to like try and force the defense to collapse? Um, really smart basketball from two incredibly savvy, experienced players.
And it worked out, too, is because DeAndre Ayton was what the Suns were trying to attack on the other end. You know what I mean? They were trying to get the switch. The Nets were giving it to him. Landry Shamit in the post. You know, they were trying to force the ball down there, got some switches out of that and whatnot. They got some open looks. They ended up missing. And the Nets just, you know, hit the bigger shots in this game, like you said. It's promising to see some of these role players in big moments that they probably won't be in unless there's an injury down the line. So this is important minutes for some of these guys because Tyler Johnson's not going to close games. Landry Shamit might close a handful of games. The only guys really out there that are closing moving forward are Joe Harris, James Harden, and Jeff Green. So really good reps for some of these dudes. Yeah, definitely. I, I think Tyler Johnson, and look, we, we can't not finish the podcast, and we've still probably got a little bit to go, but Bruce Brown and the Clamps. Yeah. My God, that a couple of those possessions on Chris Paul. He forced him to throw the basketball out of bounds. He was just that he on the wrong side of the backboard. It was just like, dude, if I uh, have to get a, a bucket over Bruce Brown or I die, um, then I'm dead. Uh, it's as simple as that. Bruce Brown just turned on the clamps, and and I think that he he set the tone in a, in a lot of that respect. You know, he might not have had a great box score. You know, two points, three assists, couple of boards, a, a steal, and a block, but the Things that don't show up in the box score are what Bruce Brown does best. Individual defensive plays, defensive communication, handing guys full court. You know, Tyler Johnson did that as well. And I think yeah. Tyler Johnson and Bruce Brown were really crucial defensively for this team. Yeah, no, I agree. I think Bruce Brown did a lot better job on Chris Paul. I think he had a little bit of struggle with Devin Booker. A lot of players do. I think Booker, unless you have the height and the length, it's it's hard to impact him unless you're really just like patient. And I think Bruce Brown being so aggressive a couple times, we saw, you know, uh, Devin Booker get him to bite on those pump fakes. But like you said, Jack, second half, that energy, that effort, just some of those things you really need in a comeback win like this. And you got it from Bruce Brown. You got it from Tyler Johnson. We mentioned some of the other guys stepping up, but it's the guys too that aren't going to show up in the stat sheet. And obviously we talk about that with Bruce Brown, which feels like every game. Yeah. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Definitely. Nick, Landry Shamit offensively. We touched on his defense a little bit. The note that I took, that shot, the fall-away mid-range jumper, I was just like, okay, Landry's feeling himself now. And I think the past 10 games, 
we're seeing a confident, composed, and you know he's executing. He's making the right plays. You know, and look, it's not a good shot, but the the clock's running down. You've got to take a shot. You've got to create yeah. a bit of space for yourself. And he just nailed it. I thought, and that was at at seventy four ninety, and that's when the lead started to chip in a little bit because the Nets just needed to hit some shots. They needed to get some buckets because the Suns are just a a really really houndy team. They've got the athletic defenders, as I alluded to, and I thought that the ability for Landry Shamit to drive and know when to take the right shot, know where the space was. He was making plays from every single level of the floor. Yeah, we talked about it on the last show. You know, he's looking like a little bit more than a three-point shooter. And he kind of displayed that a little bit more tonight. I like when he takes some of those dribble handoffs or the pass from James Harden coming off a curl and not just pulling up from three, but driving to the rim. He's quicker than I thought he was. Like, he's got a little burst to him. I think maybe some of that's just, like, teams are caught off guard. But if he gets there, he can get the angle. He does a nice job of also using the rim to protect the ball. Like, there was a possession where Aiton was in great position to block it, but he went up on the opposite side of the rim. That's the stuff you want to see, and that's the type of stuff, the type of shots you're going to get all season playing with the players you're playing with. Yeah, I thought a lot of dribble handoffs and a lot of just general handoffs tonight, you know, allowed some extra space. Tyler Johnson was doing a lot. James Harden was doing a lot. Jeff Green was doing a lot. Joe Harris was doing a lot. That seemed to be like an offense that was really working to be like, okay, let's hunt a mismatch here. Let's get a little bit of space here. Where can we sort of find an opening? And the Nets just did a great job of that. And they just made the the right plays at the right time. They hit the threes at the right time. You know, it wasn't 27 threes tonight, Nick, but it was 20 from 40, which is uh, pretty damn good too, man. Yeah. I think they said first time in franchise history, three straight games over 23s. And I wouldn't be surprised if it continues again. Like they just have that type of offensive firepower, especially if other guys are going to hit. We mentioned the previous show, James Harden hitting that step back three. All of a sudden you're feeling really confident. But I guess let's talk a little bit more about Tyler Johnson, right? Like, is this a guy moving forward that is going to be in the rotation just because he provides that spark and that energy and he occasionally will knock down a couple threes. Like, he's not scared to shoot either. His stroke looks pretty good. You know, it's kind of a little bit more of like a cannibal type of thing, but it goes down. Yeah, I'm confident. You know, the mechanics aren't necessarily perfect, but neither is Cameron Payne or Brandon Clark. But they're, And Tyrese yeah. Halliburton, their shots go in most of the time. And so Tyler Johnson's in at this sort of rate. I think that if the Nets did lose, the big takeaway would have been Tyler Johnson. The fact that he's playing himself to being a genuine rotation player. And I think the thing that I'm surprised about, Nick, a little bit is the fact that he is showing energy, hustle, and execution on the defensive end that I didn't necessarily expect. You know, he's not 6'6". You know, he's not a Mikhail Bridges type, have like a 7'8 wingspan or whatever the hell it is. You know, he doesn't have those incredible physical gifts. He's not Kawhi Leonard. But what he is doing is he's making things uncomfortable. And I think that picking up full court and making the minute out there is 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 what is the reason why he he got the start another master stroke from Steve Nash we were all surprised we probably expected Jeff Green to finally get the starting spot and it's just like come on Jeff what's he got to do to get the starting spot but at the end of the day he closed he was important and Tyler Johnson even when the Nets were struggling I thought was uh, he was probably with James Harden maybe the Nets best player and most consistent over four quarters yes Joe Harris was immense late but I thought Tyler Johnson was steady throughout and then really picked it up and hit some big shots made some awesome defensive plays picked up Chris Paul from full court um if he continues to show the defensive intensity that I'm surprised about Nick and welcome surprised about that he's going to be a contributor for the Nets going forward yeah, he's also willing to throw his body around. Like, he'll t- try to take a charge. He'll try to, you know, be in there, dig for the ball, 
fight for the jump ball. And that's just the type of stuff you need. You know, everything else with the offense is kind of gravy long as he's not turning over the ball and the teams are respecting his three point shot. So it's going to be interesting. It just, you know, the tough thing for Steve Nash is that he has an overload of guards. Like there's so many options in the guard department of who he can play. And then it just happens that two of his best players are guards, you know, Kyrie Irving and James Harden, James, you can get away obviously playing a little small forward, occasional power forward, but it's just a little bit tough to find minutes for all these guys. But also another dude that we've been talking about, you know, he's been a little bit more consistent. I thought he had a nice game with TLC. Yeah, I thought that again, uh, another performance where it was just steady from TLC, made the right play. I thought that layup, uh, that putback, or it wasn't, I'm not sure if it was a putback, but it was just a really strong play over DeAndre Ayton yeah, down yeah, low. Yeah. I'm just like, oh, I don't even okay. know how he got that in there. I, I thought he was going to get blocked, but I think he is better around the rim, you know, when he's there, you know, when he's not. Uh, he's not overwhelmed by, okay, I've got to attack and drive it. Am I going to finish with whatever hand? You know, there's times where he, he'll finish with, with the lefty and it's a little bit more open. But, you know, DeAndre Hayden isn't the best defender in the world. But I think to read the angle and go, okay, I'm going to finish it over you here, big fella. It's deflating for a big man in a lot of ways. Yeah. And, and, and I think that um, for him to do that, you know, a Mets role player, uh, again, another steady, steady performance from TLC, which is exactly what we want. Yeah, and he had the step back three on Sarek. You know, the former teammate, you saw them talking a little bit. That was pretty funny. I mean, I, it doesn't seem like a big deal, but some of those points that he scored during that stretch were just like keeping the nets within range. You know, 20 points instead of let get to 30. Like that can be a big difference in a game like this. And obviously it was because the nets were able to complete the comeback in this one. So, Jack, anybody else you want to talk about? Chris Chioza, we saw for 10 minutes, you know, weren't wasn't super impressive, wasn't necessarily terrible. I think it's just really tough to play him out there because he's so undersized and you already are playing so undersized. So when you have that under six foot dude, he's just going to be even more of a target. Yeah. I thought he was essentially just the replacement for Tyler Johnson. And yeah. look, both of them are small guards, that, but you know, Chris Chioza doesn't just have the offensive capabilities. It, it's simple as that, but a guy I wanted to touch on Nick, and I think we, we deserve to, to give a bit more time to. Oh. And Steve, Steve Nash pointed out was DeAndre Jordan. And he said the Nets adjusted by giving DJ a look at switching. This is what I like, Nick, because at the end of the season, the switching scheme is going to be incredibly important. DJ is a drop player. We know that. It's where he performs best. It's what made him perform so well against Giannis because he just let Giannis into his zone and then just took care of things. But just giving him and experimenting in that sort of fashion and throwing him you know, into the Sharks a little bit and going, all right, you've got to swim here, big fella. You've got to make sure that you take care of it because... We need, we're going to need this, you know, against the, the, the Los Angeles Lakers, against the, the Boston Celtics, the, the Sixers, the Bucks, whoever it is. Switching is going to predicate the Nets' success defensively. And it was incredibly successful tonight. And I thought DJ played a really good role in that. Yeah, no, he really did. Even to the point where Devin Booker wasn't even looking to attack him. It was kind of strange. He was like trying to force the ball to Sarek on Landry Shamit instead of taking, you know, DJ one-on-one. Like you said, Jack, this is a defense they're going to be playing in the postseason. It's important for DeAndre to get reps and see where he's at and if it's plausible to play in some of these big moments where they can get away with it. And also there's just going to be situations where you get mismatches, you know, be it transition, be it an offensive rebound. And I thought he played solid. Like there's, he's limited in what he can do, but if he uses his size and positioning, he has an opportunity to force them into a shot that the Nets probably would like them to take. Look, I'm not going to throw slights uh, to the Utah Jazz's way. They've been, in fact, I am. Um, they've been playing incredibly well. But you, Rudy Gobert is going to see switches on him. 
And yep. if they're not trying to do that and doing what Steve Nash did tonight, if Quinn Snyder isn't at least thinking about that, yes, you can win 20 games in the regular season, but are you going to win seven games against the Los Angeles Clippers, the uh, the, Los, um, the Los Angeles Lakers, um, and, and all those teams where you need to have a switching style of scheme? Are you going to get played off the floor? Can Rudy Gobert guard a LeBron James if he's on a switch? Can he guard a Paul George if he's on a switch or, or whoever else it is? Or even like a Stephen Curry, you know, uh, uh, Damian Lillard, whoever else it is. And while, you know, DeAndre Jordan wasn't guarding, you know, those sorts of players, Devin Booker, I thought he did a good job at. I think Cameron Payne was on a drive as well. He forced a miss. I can't remember if it was Payne. Yeah, it was Payne. It was a finger roll that was short. I thought that was a real, that was one of my favorite defensive plays of the night from him. Um, It was really, really good. And it shows us that, look, DeAndre Jordan isn't going to work completely and totally well in a switching scheme. That's where Jeff Green and Kevin Durant are going to thrive. James Harden as well. You know, it, it's predicated to make uh, the Nets be successful defensively. But to at least see the glimpses of that is like, okay, we're not going to be at, we can at least have a semblance of confidence in DJ to be able to do different things defensively rather than just be like, okay, he can't do anything else. We're just going to have to drop everyone. <laughs> Well, I also think it gives reps for the other four guys on the floor, too, of, you know, like, how much do I help here? Where do we double team? It just throws different scenarios for the Nets to kind of prepare themselves for the postseason. But, Jack, you mentioned DeAndre. Obviously, I thought he was pretty good. But we should talk a little bit more about Jeff Green. You know, 7 of 14, 2 of 4 from 3, 2 of 3 from the free throw line, 8 rebounds, 3 assists, 18 points. He was obviously crucial down the stretch, crucial in that big run the Nets had to win this game. And I was a little concerned when he got hit with the elbow from DeAndre Ayton in the ribs. I, I mentioned to you, like, I thought for a second he might have cracked the rib because he's a guy that is one of the toughest dudes on the Nets. And he was down for a minute and it looked like he might not shoot his free throws, came back later in the game and, like I said, was crucial. Dude, that's toughness, man. That's just, yeah. <laughs> th- this win was all about, you know, the Brooklyn grit, the old hashtag that the Brooklyn Nets had. <laughs> you know, while there was some superstar plays from James Harden, and Joe Harris and such, I thought that there was just a grittiness to this win, Nick. Yep. You know, coming back and then and, and diving on the floor, making steals on Devin Booker, forcing the turnovers, Jeff Green making the hard free throws. He was incredible tonight. Truly, truly incredible. And we, we've said all the good things. We've said all the pleasantries about him. But Jeff Green just does so much well that it's hard to surmise it in words because he just makes the right play consistently. It's rare you see him make mistakes. Like, I honestly, you know, when we argue about our role players, it's like, okay, man, I wish he just wouldn't do that thing. I wish he wouldn't take that shot. I wish he would make that defensive play. He's comfortable. Every single switch, I thought that he was on Booker, he was on Paul. There were times where he would get, you know, a shot over him. But sometimes that's just good shot making from Chris Paul or Devin Booker. I just think that he is so damn key to this team's success. I think that a lot of people who might not be as insatiable Nets fans as us and the listeners at home, as well as plenty of others, may not understand Jeff Green's importance. The man's 34 years old, but he's playing like a goddamn 29-year-old because I'm 30 and I'm not playing that good. <laughs> that's, a, that's a great comparison there, Jack. But uh, Michael O'Grady, I think, said something on the broadcast, like no longer Uncle Jeff should be Nephew Jeff with the way he's playing. And I mean, he has looked really spry. And like you mentioned, Jack, he's very solid at so many aspects of the game, a ton of versatility. You know, it's going to be tough for anybody to deal with Chris Paul, especially in a switching situation when the guy just murders everybody from mid-range. Like, that's the perfect switch shot. So it makes sense that he was able to work him. And we talked about Devin Booker being so good. But 
without Jeff Green, like I said before, they're not able to run those pick and rolls, the inverted pick and roll with James Harden. They probably don't win this game. Like that's just a, a tool they were able to pull out. And that was huge. And obviously his switchability is a big factor of what the Nets want to do moving forward. He's been invaluable for this team on a veteran minimum contract. Look, and, and I think the the fact that they were able to limit his playing time to just 25 minutes tonight, you know, yeah. it's somewhat of a rest for a dude who's playing, you know, career high in minutes uh, for, in a lot of respects. Maybe not career high, but, you know, since he's sort of Might heyday. be, Jack, to be honest. <laughs> uh, look, I'm not 100% sure. Like I mentioned in the last part, he's been on so many goddamn teams, nine or ten teams, that it's hard for me to keep up. But, yeah, I think that there's just a, an intangible chemistry with Jeff Green and, and the rest of these guys. And it's like, you know, we've had some great role players in the Brooklyn Nets ever since we've been doing the buzz. We love Jared Dudley. We love all these sort of guys but what Jeff Green is providing us right now is so damn good Jared Dudley did it for a series against Ben Simmons Jeff Green is doing it against team after 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 team yeah I mean it's been huge obviously you know and given Nick Claxton being out trading Jared Allen like having a guy like Jeff Green that can fill in at the center spot can play forward can play the switching scheme can shoot threes and also at different points of this game he was essentially running backup point guard for the second unit when James Harden was out you know he's coming down bringing the ball down setting guys up so just a great tool and a great asset for this team. We've got to give his stat line out there. 18 points, 8 boards, including one offensive board. Had 3 dimes as well, 2 or 4 from 3. Got to the free throw line 3 times and hit 2 of them, 7 or 14 from the field. Uh, Jeff Green, was this the best game of the season for Jeff Green? I think it might be, Nick. I think his minutes down the stretch were probably his most crucial of the yeah. season for the Nets winning against a good team. Like he's had other good moments and other good games where I think there was that one game where he didn't, he only missed like one or two shots, which, and he scored like 20 points. But this one, he just had a really big impact moment. And I think it's obviously something the Nets knew about because, like you mentioned earlier, Jack, the experience he has playing in Houston with James Harden and Mike D'Antoni. And now it's like, okay, we can go back to this later on and we need to in a certain situation, even if it's just second unit minutes with James Harden and um, Jeff Green. Yeah, look, this is, he was obviously key to the win, Nick, but looking at the bigger picture as well, we didn't expect this win, especially after the first yep. half. We didn't expect it when we heard that Kyrie Irving would be out with back tightness. And now it, I guess, lessens the load and lessens the gravity of the Lakers game and the Clippers game because the Nets, are, if, even if they lose both of them, they still go 3-2 and two on their stretch. And I thought 3-2 and two would be good, especially with Kevin Durant's injury. And now it, it allows you to, if Kyrie Irving's back is still feeling a little bit tight, you know, to, to rest him going further doesn't put the impetus and I think that while we want these big three to be playing together we know how good they are together I put out on Twitter yesterday or, or today the, earlier this afternoon that when those three are together they have a 126 offensive rating and 113 defensive rating they play decent enough defense and historic level offense when Kevin Durant's out there it's pretty damn good too so I think that it's just better the way the Nets are handling it right now and just being overly cautious because look we we know we know the other contenders out there. You know the uh, Embiid is always going to have his injury issues. You know Anthony Davis is having some of his issues. But because, like we mentioned, you know James Harden is superstar insurance. The Nets don't win this game with Karis Avert and Jared Allen. As much as I love those guys to death, and I hate Colin Sexton with a goddamn passion, and I'll mention <laughs> that on every pod that we uh, refer to Jared Allen with. But you don't have James Harden. You don't win this game, Nick. So it validates the trade. The superstar insurance that Zach Lowe, you, and other really smart people alluded to, this is what you get 
James Harden is incredible with role players. He's incredible with Joe Harris. He's incredible as a Brooklyn net. And uh, again, I mentioned this. I think he's most he's, he's playing his most complete basketball. Steve Jones and Nikias Duncan of the Dunker spot stole my take as well. Nah, they're awesome dudes. But they also said that he's playing his most complete basketball. So it's validating to hear some pretty smart basketball minds say the same thing. Yeah, I think he really is. And I think, you know, it's funny is there's been so much talk about like all-star starter for the Nets. And obviously a lot of people are pushing Kyrie Irving, but I feel like actually James Harden is the more deserving of the two. If I had to pick one just because of the all around game. And I think running an offense doesn't get enough credit in the NBA. Like when you're the number one option in terms of like, you're bringing the ball down the court, you're setting guys up. The ball is always in your hands. Like that's a burden. Yeah. Obviously it's a blessing to an extent because you have the ball, but there's so much pressure on you in so many different situations. But like you said, Jack, James Harden, great in tonight's win. And obviously I think it also helps build momentum for the team. You know what I mean? Like, Hey, we're not just superstars. Like there's other guys in this team that can step up and it helps build confidence in some of those role players. And I almost want to call it like a floor raiser for the team in general, because like, Hey, somebody's out. No big deal. We know Tyler Johnson can step up. We know Joe Harris can step up. We know, you know, whoever it is, if we call on them and we need you to drop 20 tonight, you could be that guy. So, and it's progress for the Nets and also second seed right now. Yeah, absolutely. We're overtaking the Milwaukee Bucks, who have lost four straight. So that's how it's pretty damn sweet. And look, and I, I will say as well, Nick, I've got to get this quote out there. Steve Nash on the Nets feeling locker room night. Vibes, all vibes in there. <laughs> it's vibes on the buzz as well. How can you not love Steve Nash? Um, we've given him a lot of criticism. So uh, it's probably rich of me to say that. Look, I, I will say in relation to James Harden, Nick, he is no longer, as DeAndre would say, a shooting guard. He's the now the point guard of this team. We know Kyrie Irving said that. And I think that he is just playing such complete basketball. And if you watch him play, you would realize what he is doing. He was everything for this team in all of his minutes when he was out there. Everything for this team in terms of the 37 minutes that he played. It, I, this is what we sort of wanted from him uh, when he was starting to acclimate with the team. And it's just like, all right, James, you know, we know you can be like a guy who can get like a 40-point triple-double, my dude. We don't have Kyrie Irving or Kevin Durant right now. We need you to lift to that sort of mark. And it's just like, it felt like he was toying with us a little bit. It yeah. felt like he was just like, you know what? I'm going to just play to my level to these to these sort of teams uh, and, and really acclimate myself to my teammates. But look, he was, he was goddamn incredible. And I will say, looking at it from the big picture again, Nick, this is probably three or four straight games where we've at least seen 24 minutes of really quality defensive basketball. And I think that gives you probably the most confidence overall. Maybe if the Nets lost, that still would have been a big takeaway from this game. 24 minutes of quality defense against a quality opponent, you know, against Golden State, against the Clippers in, in that sort of fourth quarter. It shows that the Nets can ratchet it up a little bit when they need to. Yeah, no, I agree, Jack. I think they can turn the effort up. And I think obviously it kind of puts a little pressure on some of the star players too. like, hey, these role guys are out here playing good defense. We didn't make sure we do the same thing. And just one more note about James Harden. You kind of mentioned it, Jack. I just love watching him because I love watching him manipulate the defense and like just getting to the spots and working them from an intelligent perspective instead of just like some of his baskets are just like so easy. And occasionally there is a bucket in the first half where it's like, why didn't anybody try to defend him? And he just shot a layup. Like he worked his way to like the block and just shot a layup with his right hand. It's just like, okay. It's just yeah, like yeah. he keeps everybody so off balance. Yeah, there was another play where the clock was just winding down. It's just like, all right, James, well, what are you going to do here, mate? And then he just gets a bounce pass to DJ down low for a dunk. And I'm just like, yeah. 
his intelligence and clock management, he just knows. And there was probably only one play tonight where the the Suns are like, okay, we know what's happening here. James is yep. looking for that step back or he's looking for the kick out pass to, to a shooter. And they're like, okay, let's blitz him. And then and they did that at like the two second mark. That was the only play tonight from him where he would looked a bit out of sorts. And that's one play out of what, you know, 90, 100 that we saw tonight that he was out there for. Like you mentioned, Nick, he has the greatest burden of all these three offensive superstars that we have on this team right now point guards do they have to do so much and he mentioned in the last game post presser that he's starting to realize what Kyrie's sort of spots are as well you know he's played with Kevin Durant in the past he's got a a bit of a a, more of a synergy and understanding with them he does as well with with Kyrie Irving and Team USA moments as well but I think that where the moments I think since that OKC game was sort of a turning point for those two uh, our superstar backcourt the best backcourt in the league I think that James Harden and and Kevin Durant early on in that Bucks game were just like yeah we we can win against against anyone as long as we're playing together but it seems to me now it's just like okay James Harden's out there Kyrie Irving's out there Kevin Durant's out there a combination of the two a combination of the three I, 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 I don't know Nick it's just pretty damn good to have these three top 10 players top 12 players uh, on our team right now Three All-Stars on the team, ready to go for the All-Star game. It'll They're be the second fun to watch. seed now. So, like, uh, there was a lot of people like, oh, we can't have three of these guys. They're playing so badly. What about the defense? I want to punish James Harden for what he did in Houston. I'm crying. I don't like what he did. He was a bad boy. And Kyrie Irving takes a week off for mental health and all the purposes that, you know, we've discussed before and we've criticized in, in certain points. But how can you not reward the Brooklyn Nets? And when you just watch basketball, how can you not say Kyrie Irving averaging 29 points on a 50-40-90 season? James Harden inching closer to a 50-40-90 season, averaging near like 11 dimes a game. How can and you not 24 reward? points, I think, probably yeah. going to be up after tonight. Yeah, exactly. And heck, obviously, Kevin Rand is, is the, the major loss. Almost averaging 30 coming off a torn Achilles on almost 50-40-90. It's incredible, Nick. And look, I think back a little bit to previous super teams and, and, think, and thought about how long it sort of took to sort of, you know, acclimate and really sort of develop that chemistry. And the Nets haven't had an opportunity to do that as a as a team overall for like, they've done it for seven games, like literally seven games. But it still seems to me that there is intangible chemistry that's being created even when those guys are out. I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah. Cause, you know, Kyrie the- was up a lot tonight cheering on the team. Yeah, I mean, Kevin Durant almost pushed him over. Like, we don't want yeah. to take his back. It's like DeAndre Jordan when he was riding Kevin Durant, you know, last season as well. Look, I, I love the celebrations and there. You know, we miss uh, a little bit of Theo Pinson action. So seeing those guys up and about. Um, I also do want to say, you know, I, I didn't want to... I'm glad that the win did overshadow this because I was going to really go on a, a bit of a rant and a spiel about, you know, two games in a row now where Kyrie Irving has been... <sighs> not criticized but made fun of for bringing in the walking stick and and look i'm not gonna illustrate or explain why because i don't think i have the expertise to do so but scoop b robinson did a really good job at explaining the significance of that to him and it's his native american culture and the heritage that has become so important to Kyrie irving ever since his mother passed away we know how how important that is to his identity you know you look at his instagram and you just know who he is as a person and that's what's in, that's what's important to him so to all the outlets out there you know bleacher report at the athletic fast break breakfast 
And, and look, I will say there were a couple of people who I, you know, jumped into the mentions of, including, you know, Seth Part now, who did a good job at saying, you know what, I deleted it, I did a bad job. We need more people to be reflective and empathetic. You know, it's as simple as that. It might not be as significant to you, it might look funny to you, but just think, have a have a think before you say stuff, before you put things out there, because Kyrie Irving's a human being and this is important to him. This heritage, this culture is important to him, and it's a part of who he is. You know, you wouldn't want someone making fun of, of you and, and and for whatever you choose to to do and how you live your life so just have a bit of empathy Kyrie Irving's a, an easy target but at the same time like just chill guys like it, it's there's plenty of things to make fun of Kyrie for that are acceptable yeah you know what I mean like calling the saying the earth isn't flat and things like that or when he says something or if he makes an error on the basketball court like attack him all you want but like what like you said Jack when you're attacking someone like culturally I don't think that's a great look. I'm not here like passing judgment on everybody, but like let people live their lives. You know what I mean? I'm passing judgment on the people who are criticizing Nick. I'm sorry. It says a lot about you and and, in your response. If you choose not to hold yourself accountable, like some people did, like Seth Part now of The Athletic, but The Athletic overall, they had to delete that tweet and they didn't necessarily, you know, the Sacramento Kings, NBC on the Kings was talking about, is that a walking set? And they were just doing it in a really patronizing fashion that didn't sit right with me. A lot of people in Bleacher Reports mentions uh, a couple of guys who I was going back and forth with in some group chats. Kyrie Irving is a human being, guys. We're all human beings here. We're all trying to live our best life, our most happy lives. If this makes Phil Kyrie Irving happy, if this is part of who he is, then who are we to judge? You know, I do some exactly. dumb things. I say some dumb things. We all do. I just think that he's a lightning rod for criticism. And I think that at this point in time, it's becoming a bit out of control. Um, and it almost. I mean, even just like going back to the shooting guard, point guard thing, like people try to turn that into a negative thing when it was really just like him saying like, hey, you know, me and James figuring out roles and stuff and I thought it was positive and communication and like letting James Harden be the best version of himself and like you said it's just kind of like a constant thing of him getting attacked I mean I know I personally just like try to ignore it because it's just non-stop and it, it gets to the point where it's just irrational like rational things I, I care about a little bit more but when things get irrational and people are just kind of trolling it's just like okay well you just are making yourself look stupid like you mentioned jack and then you have to go delete your tweets and now we know it's publicly on twitter and now 100 people just screenshotted it i, I did it yesterday um and look yeah. i i think that I, again i put out the tweet yesterday by the sacramento kings and then i had to retweet myself and quote tweet myself for the, the next day 24 hours later uh, and, and it was worse in, in a lot of in a lot of respects uh, i just think nick that we wonder why Kyrie Irving doesn't like the media and, and we wonder why he doesn't want to speak to them and we wonder why you know he is just so anti-media and and and, all, and almost inflammatory towards them like he was in the preseason calling them pawns and such and you know we were critical of him in those comments but you can't help but feel if you were criticized for your character and your heritage I would be saying some much worse things than calling people pawns. Yeah, yeah. And obviously, like, it's an ongoing thing. And he's a constant name that's brought up regardless. You know, when they traded for James Harden, now Kyrie's not going to be happy. You know, we had Brian Windhorst saying, oh, Kyrie changed his mind every 20 minutes on his most recent podcast. I put that out there. And uh, yeah, it did some. I didn't. I put it out at like 10 o'clock as soon as I listened to the pod. And I'm just like, it seems to be a constant thing with certain people in the media. And, and, and I understand that, like, Kyrie might not have given him some good quotes in his LeBron James book, but to hold a vendetta for that long, look, there are people I dislike 
but I don't have ill will or wish the, or, or or feel like and continually attack them and and wish them poorly. It's just that I feel like it affects you negatively if you continue to hold that negativity towards you and continue to not just think about it and talk about it, you know, off wax, but put it on your podcast, which is one of the most popular ESPN platforms. I just think it's a, at least a sour taste, Nick, at the very least. And look, I'm really grateful that we were able to talk about this at the end of the podcast and not the start because I was sort of like, you know, I'm going to get heated if the, the Nets lose this one. You know, give me 15 minutes of just absolutely ranting on um, some people who don't have the don't have the their hearts in a good place, Nick, in a time where I think we all need to have our hearts in a good place. And look, thank God for this Nets win. Uh, it was one of the best, Nick. One of the goddamn best. And we've done, what, like 500, 400 episodes of this podcast at least goddamn count. And you know, sometimes the games get lost and it's just yep. like we do so many of them. It's just like even this season, it's like we played 26 and we've done 26 podcasts plus emergency pods and all these different ones. This game is going to stick out like the Sacramento Kings one. I'm going to re-listen to this pod. I'm going to re-watch this game for a very, very long time. Uh, it's a special day and it's nice to sort of just have these moments. Yeah, I think this will be a game where you look back in the season like, oh, shit, this is when I remember KD Kyrie sitting James Harden gave us his first like big performance and also a signature play. Like, this will be a signature shot for the season for him. Like I said, built confidence for other guys, 24-point comeback. And like you said, we do some rewatches over the summer and the offseason. This is going to be one that hits pretty high in the list just because of the momentum we saw and the change in this game. And it also, like, I don't think we talked about this in the beginning, but it was almost like a slow comeback because we didn't have that initial 20-0 run. It was like third quarter, start, you know, prying at it, prying at it, get it to 12. Next thing it's at 8. It's at 5 for a while. Get it down to 2. Next thing you know, Sun's got it back up to 8 and the Nets end up coming back all the way and winning it. It's just a lot of things went right. And then, like you said, Jack, just a really, really enjoyable game. Yeah, I think that... <laughs> really late. <laughs> yeah, look, it is really late. I'm sorry for keeping you up, my dude. But uh, one more thing. I, I think that touching on your point at sort of chipping away at the lead, you know, a lot of the time it comes in flurries. And you look at like the Golden State Warriors, about they were going like 10-0, 15-0 runs. And in the modern game, the Nets can do that as well. But I think the the maturity and and and, and steadfastness of the team and, and grittiness and fight that they showed to be like, look, a Chris Paul bucket to put us down by 11 again isn't going to deflate us. You know, another mid-ranger, another three from Devin Booker, a three from Cameron Payne, that's not going to deflate us. We're still going to stay in this. We're still going to show the fight. I thought that that was one thing that I'm like, look, me as a fan... You know, I'm just like, damn, man, they, these these shots are deflating from Chris Paul. He's just so down. that Chris Paul stretch, like you said, Jack. It was what was it two threes and a mid ranger? It was like, oh shit, Chris Paul really is, really hates James Harden. He <laughs> wants to win this game. Yeah, he's putting the nail in the coffin for the for the Brooklyn Nets and James Harden. But I, I thought that the the composure and experience and and determination from this team, Nick, was, was something else, and it's something that we're going to reflect back on and remember for a very long time. Yeah, 100%. And obviously, we'll talk about Andre Roberson, I think, on the next pod, just because I need to get some sleep. Obviously, it's it's almost 2 o'clock in the morning over here on the East Coast, but the Nets obviously gave us a little cup of coffee with the comeback win. Once again, 128-124, James Harden with the big bucket, Landry Shamit with the great defense. Always a pleasure, Jack, and big thanks, everybody, for listening. Nets mother-effing world. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, 
for the ones who get it done.